And I think it's probably easier to contrast that when you don't have a credit certification. It's a fist fight. You have certifying bodies that don't accept each other. There's no particular rules that they play by. They make up their own standard. They make up their own rules. And it's a very competitive, messy market that were not well governed. And this was particularly frustrating. Accreditation, it's a way of life. One of the actions that organizations are taking is to focus on issues of pressing importance. What the customers really want out of their accredited certification. I believe we have an impact on everyday's life. It's important to be inclusive. It is important really to, to, to be open. And that will be one additional way to ensure that the voice of industry and user is heard and recognized. Welcome to episode two of the food series of Accreditation Matters. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about the importance of accreditation for the private sector. So firstly, I'd like to welcome my guests who've joined me on the podcast today. Um, we have Krissa Dimitri Ardis, the director from Standard Management IFS. We have Alden Hillbrands, chief executive officer at the FSSC's foundation. We have Quincy Lassord, executive director at SSAFE. We have Amanda McCarthy, Business Director at BRCGS. We have Leanne Chabuff, Vice President, Technical Affairs at SQFI. And last but not least, we have Mark Overland, representing industry, formerly at Cargill. And I'm the host today. My name's Colin Christmas. I am the IEF co-convener and representing IQNet Association. So with that, I just wanted to kick off and say, um, understand from the group how accreditation plays a crucial role in ensuring safety, quality, sustainability uh, of food supply. So, Mark, I'd like to start with you and just ask your opinion why accreditation works and what was really the turning point for accreditation in the food sector? Sure. Thanks, Colin. Nice to be here with you all. Um, I think for the food industry, the clear turning point was the Peanut Corporation of America event back in 2008. We had had, you know, audits were a common practice. Um, there are many audit companies and many audits. The issue that really came to the forefront was the lack of independence and transparency in the current processes where each auditing company had their own audit, but it was really just in a completely within the control of the audit company, all the processes. And so in the Peanut Corporation of America issue, um, there were you know, nine people that died from poisoning. And in that process, it was really the, the how the audit process worked really came to the forefront. There was not enough oversight between the audit at the facility, the management processes, and the rules of how the audit needed to happen. And the, at the time, it was really completely within the domain and oversight of the audit company itself. But a credit certification, which has been well known um, in many other areas, was relied on to make sure that we could give the public sector and private sector, our customers, confidence that if a claim was being made, 
that there was adequate independence and layers of oversight that that claim was in fact correct. So that, that was the key turning point, I think, was the PCA event back in 2008. That's great, Mark. Appreciate your, your insight there. And, and ultimately, that was a, a really important piece where accreditation then had to uh, play that uh, role to rebuild the trust after a big foodborne illness uh, outbreak uh, that hit the United States. Thanks for that, Mark. So, so now, Quincy, I wanted to bring you in um, as, as from an S-SAFE perspective. Um, where do you see the importance of a, accreditation in relation to food standards and knowing that uh, your organization works closely with the FAO, works with Codex, works with the and Trade Development Facility, the STDF? So how do you see all of that uh, fit in uh, together in accreditation? Very Colin. Thank you. And, and welcome to all of our listeners here today. Uh, it's a privilege to be here. Um, I think if we uh, look at our food system, uh, particularly our global food system, it is it is quite complex. And coming back to the point that Mark was making around confidence, uh, confidence is what ultimately leads to trust. And that the trust in our global food system, particularly in a harmonized global food system, really starts at the global regulatory level uh, that is primarily driven by the Codex Elementarius. If we think about the Codex Elementarius, that is run by what we know as the Three Sisters, Food and Agriculture Organization of the UN, FAO, World Health Organization, WHO, and World Organization of Animal Health, uh, WOA. Uh, the three of them coming together and therefore uh, running uh, the Codex Elementarius creates that global level of harmonized trust in the overall food system. Nonetheless, being at that global level uh, is very difficult to implement locally depending on the specific conditions, specific types of foods, uh, whether we are talking about plant-based or animal-based food products, et cetera. So that is really where we need additional support when we come down to the local level. And that is really where um, some of the more um, industry-driven style programs, like the ones that we're going to hear about from our esteemed colleagues today, can play a key role in driving um, the requirements upon which we need to produce safe food, but ultimately then built on a system of trust that is um, provided by not only certification, but more importantly, by accredited certification. And I'm sure that we're gonna talk more about accreditation further on, but definitely for our members, it is that accreditation system that underpins uh, independent third-party certification that really drives the trust that we see across the food sector globally. Thank you. Right. Uh, Quincy, thanks for that summary. Really appreciate it. Amanda, I'd like to come over to you now and, and from a BRC, BRCGS, from a scheme owner perspective, what, how do you see food quality, food safety, the sustainability piece all supported by accreditation? Okay, thank you, Colin, and good afternoon, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're listening to this. Um, and obviously, I'm speaking on behalf of BRCGS, but I think what the answer to my question applies equally to my colleagues um, who are here to represent all the other schemes. So BRCGS has been going now for 25 years, and the first edition of our food safety standard was published way back in 1998 uh, as a response to the UK Food Safety Act. 
of 1990. So that was quite a long time ago. And we were based in the UK, obviously, originally. And UK retailers needed to demonstrate due diligence. And so they agreed a standard to meet all their combined requirements. And now we've got 10 standards that cover various sectors of food and consumer product supply chain. We cover food, food safety, product safety, and ethical and social compliance. So although we started in the UK, we're obviously now a global scheme owner. We've got 33,000 certificated sites in over 130 countries. And so it's absolutely vital that all our certification audits are aligned globally. And we've talked already a lot about trust and stakeholders need to be able to trust the certification process. And they need to be sure, for example, that, you know, if an audit is conducted in Peru, it's the same. It's equivalent to an audit that's conducted in Italy or or France or, you know, Africa or wherever. So right from the very start, way back in 1998, we required our certification body partners to comply with ISO 17065, which is the standard for conformity assessment. And that's why we now still require our CB partners to operate to accreditation standards. And what's more, we require that they're accredited by IAF members. And we've got 75 CBs globally auditing to those standards and complying with ISO 17065, and that's the key ingredient of the approval process and the ongoing assessment of our CBs. We have annual meetings with accreditation bodies to deliver updates to our standards, to keep them briefed. And we also recognize when we're talking to national regulators that accredited certification is absolutely vital in order to sort of develop a process of what we call earn recognition. So we've got agreements with a number of national regulators whereby they will accept accredited certification as a, as a, an, a means of helping them to risk rate sites and to target their oversight and inspection on the basis of that. So for those reasons, accredited certification is absolutely vital to what we're doing globally with the BRCGS standard because it's delivering that independence and confidence which our stakeholders are looking for. Amanda, thanks very much. It's a really good summary to get your perspective on that. Um, thank you. Uh, and now over to Leanne. Um, we, we have seen the, the role that GFSI have played um, in the food safety sector of, of food. Um, especially around harmonization, benchmarking, scheme owner recognition, and and so on. So maybe I would like to get your perspective on why you think the GFSI harmonization and benchmarking approach works well when it's complemented with accreditation. Yeah, so thanks, Colin. Uh, thanks for inviting me to this podcast, and especially with everybody that is participating today, because each of the, so I want to say scheme owners, but GFSI calls them certification program owners. And I think that's a whole nother podcast why we switched from scheme owners to CPOs. But 
Um, I'll refer us to CPOs. That's what uh, GFSI refers us as. Um, but BRC, IFS, FSSE, and SQF were actually those four founding uh, CPOs regarding it within GFSI. So I just want to start by giving a little bit of background as to why GFSI even is GFSI. Um, it really, it builds off of what Mark said regarding uh, what happened at PCA. And it's a matter of all the manufacturers saying, we've had too many audits, and all the retailers saying, well, we've had too many recalls. So we need to come up with a, with a solution. And could we develop one audit that's going to be that end-all, be-all? And everybody was like, no, that's not going to happen. So instead, GFSI came up with requirements what each CPO needs to have in place. And one of those requirements is accreditation. And that accreditation is the mandate within GFSI and drives that third-party certification. So why GFSI works is because of that accreditation, because of the global stakeholder input that goes into building and improving the entire GFSI process. But, and those stakeholders really are anybody, anybody that eats food in a sense is a global stakeholder to GFSI. And it's that collaboration with all the parties as it relates to um, that input. So GFSI adds another layer to accreditation. So accreditation, that third-party accreditation builds that trust. So you get that once certified, accepted everywhere within, within uh, the, the landscape of these audits that are being conducted and retailers and buyers and specifiers can accept that certificate knowing that it has all those layers of trust. Um, because it's not just about building the standard and implementing those food safety systems. That's a piece of it. But those accredited, those layers evaluate the qualifications of auditors. So there is consistency within, or at least a minimum base within auditor qualification. It also evaluates the actions that we have to conduct for oversight and integrity to ensure there's follow-up. Um, and then it evaluates the our overall our certification bodies. But what else accreditation does, it evaluates the accreditation bodies. So there's layers upon layers. So I always like to say there's auditors that audit the auditors that audit the sites because there's that many layers of, of trust and verification within the accreditation process. And that's what GFSA wanted. They wanted uh, that that trust in the certification. They wanted that trust in the overall process. And so there is always, I like to say also that GFSI, um, it's not perfect. Um, I think there are opportunities to improve, but the best thing about GFSI is that there is an opportunity to improve and there's a process, there's a method, um, and there's opportunities to continuously improve that process. So uh, GFSI brings that credibility to the certificate and the trust that the retailer has in that site that they're purchasing from. Uh, Leanne, very good summary. I really appreciate that. And um, that's a very important piece of the, of the food sector puzzle, shall we say. 
Great. Um, now I want to go over to Alden. Um, accreditation um, and its role for the FSSC Foundation, and, and more importantly, in the ESG space, environmental social governance space. How do you see that evolving, uh, and why do you think that will continue to be important, Alden? Thanks, Colin. Thanks for inviting me, and, and thanks uh, for uh, yeah for uh, having the ability to contribute to this. Uh, Unique IEF food postcards cast series, and I'm very happy to be here with with friends and colleagues um, to discuss this important topic. Well, um, first of all, I would say um, indeed sustainability is um, is something that is complex, uh, a complex global challenge that we are all into, and ultimately, um, I think uh, certainly standards and certification can play a very important role in this. Uh, accreditation is one key element of credibility underpinning the assurance also in that field. It's a growing field. It is getting more important. If I look at Foundation FSSC, we have a strong track record in food safety management system certification for, uh, for a number of years. Uh, and we've also decided to, um, to go uh, and, and, and try to uh, develop solutions in the sustainability ski, uh, space with our new FSSC 24000 scheme, which is around social management systems. So that's an, it's a move clearly into the field of sustainability where there is many, many discussions around climate, if you think from an environmental standpoint, but also around uh, from a social standpoint, gender inequality, pay, et cetera, et cetera. So certainly this is a very important field. IEF has also recognized that this is one of the four focus areas for the future strategy. It's a working group uh, around sustainability, which I also um, am one of the co-conveners of. And I think, calling to your question, I mean, why is this becoming uh, so prominent now in the ESG space? I think there's a, a few drivers that clearly, you know, have made this much more important. Um, to name some regulatory drivers, I happen to uh, live in the Netherlands, um, so based in Europe, there's a load of uh, regulatory uh, drivers coming out under the EU, EU Green Deal that will certainly drive uh, uptake of standards in the social environmental field uh, fairly soon. And that is not just in Europe. It's, it's all over the world where a regulatory is creating a certain level playing field and standards can certainly play a role there. Uh, consumers uh, with social media, we're doing a podcast now. People live in the in the in the day and age of of ultimate, I would say, almost radical transparency. So uh, there's a lot going on there. Consumers expect transparency. They expect to see a lot of um, a lot more information and assurance around certain claims, green claims, all sorts of claims, and 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 there again, standards can substantiate those claims through a process of accredited uh, verification. Uh, customers, the B2B business, not just the B2C that I was just talking about, but also the B2B business, companies dealing with other companies that have certain expectations around environmental social sustainabilities that have embedded in codes of conduct, want to have assurance that tax contractual suppliers do the right thing. Again, standards can play a role there. But there's also, I think, other target groups that are getting more and more uh, involved in these discussions. Think about investors. There's many, many investment groups, impact investors that nowadays uh, have certain uh, criteria that they use in terms of uh, getting their uh, money spent well and in, in in, in, in spent on, on projects that can, can 
really deliver some outcomes, some impacts that need to be verified. Uh, the insurance industry, in some fields, we already see that if you have a certain type certification, your insurance policy uh, can look a little bit prettier. So it's not just paying, but paying a little bit less, plus maybe have some other benefits uh, in return. So I think the insurance industry is also not a, an industry that we engage with a lot, but we should engage with more. There's, there's certainly, uh, you know, I think uh, um, uh, certain incentives there that we could be using. And uh, maybe last but not least, the, the banking sector, the finance sector, I think, uh, is something that uh, is also really coming up. Um, so that is, I think, from an ESG standpoint, Colin, it's now, well, from a, from a finance, uh, from a banking standpoint, they have kind of, uh, you know, uh, made up the term ESG, environmental, social and governance criteria that they looked at in terms of making sure their money is well spent. But I think in the early days, we used to call uh, sustainability and define it more from a triple P standpoint, the people, planet, profit approach, the more holistic approach, which I personally like better. But nowadays, the buzzword is ESG, but I think we pretty much still talk about the same thing. So I think, well, this is what I would say that, that yeah, I mean, we, we are, uh, you know, with our, our, all our IEF membership and our standards and our certification. Uh, we, I think, can also play a, 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 an add a certainly value in the new and emerging ESG and sustainability space, and we should. So I leave it for to that uh, for the time being, Colin. Thanks. Alden, a, a really good summary of uh, of why that's uh, really important, especially like in the ESG space. Um, I think especially now we're seeing green claims in the European Union must be accredited. So that will be a big change for the industry. Um, and uh, ultimately, the climate disclosures that's coming as well, where uh, voluntary climate disclosures will uh, most likely use international standards with um, with accreditation against them. So thanks, Alden. Um, Chris, now I'd like to move on to you. Um, we've we've talked about um, a, a big, a wide range of subjects within the food sector. Um, from an IEF perspective, we have something called the IEF MLA, the Multilateral Agreement, and there's an endorsement there that that happens for organization, CPO, scheme owners such as yourself at IFS. Can you maybe just give us a summary of how you see the IEF MLA, why that endorsement was important for you at IFS and, uh, and what are the benefits? Thank you very much, Colleen. Thank you. I'm also very happy to participate and contribute to this podcast. Uh, yes, as, uh, as also a certification program owner, may I use also this term, uh, since 2002, uh, owned by uh, the French Retailer Federation and the German Retail Federation. Uh, we now have six different uh, food and non-food standards and also four development programs. Uh, we joined IAF as an association member since 2020. And since last, last year, we signed the, the endorsement of the MLA which was really a milestone for us for our main standard, the IFS food standard for the version 7 and for the version 8, uh, which is now applicable since the beginning of the year. Uh, it's a milestone because this contributes really uh, to uh, our certificates being recognized and trusted worldwide. And also by, by the fact that it's uh, performed by an independent body that verifies that all our standards meet all the required criteria. Uh, if I should um, uh, summarize the benefits, I would say that, first of all, as a global player, uh, being, as I said, 
um, uh, working with uh, different uh, certification bodies. We have a network of ATF, IFS accredited certification bodies, uh, which are uh, themselves supervised by 16 accreditation bodies that are IAF MLA signatories as well. Uh, and having uh, more than 27,000 certificates, this really uh, gives the opportunity to increase the trust uh, and the recognition worldwide. So this is, first of all, one of the first aspects uh, that was imp important for us to uh, ensure this trust in our network, our stakeholders, and also, as it was mentioned previously, uh, by national regulators. This is also important for that. As a second point, I would mention that this helps as well the harmonization between the different accreditation bodies. This is something we also observed, and this is important for us. As the motto of IAF says, certifies once, certified once, accepted everywhere. This is important because this ensures that uh, the certificates of conformity issued in one region or in one economy are accepted in other regions or other economies. Uh, as well, uh, our, from our first experiences with uh, the IFS food uh, process we went through, I would say that one advantage is also the fact that there is a clear and structured process for the accreditation. We, we go through the PL3 um, procedure uh, where we have some uh, steps to fulfill. Uh, there is also the opportunity for a review period, which is also important, where IAF MLA signatories can give uh, their comments. Uh, and, and after that, we can uh, find a common agreement uh, in order to be able to sign this uh, MLA. And as a last point, I would say uh, that it also gives us, um, as a scheme owner, the opportunity, uh, and specifically for IFS, to emphasize uh, our DNA, as we call it, uh, the product and process approach uh, really linked to the 17065 accreditation. In our standards, we always follow the Codex Alimentarius on one hand for the food uh, standards. We also integrated parts of the ISO 22003, the, the part two, which is really focused on the 17065 accreditation. And this is really um, so important for us. Uh, and it's, it's even more emphasized uh, with this endorsement. Uh, that we developed also some e-learnings for auditors. Uh, all IFS auditors uh, need to go through these e-learnings that explain really, for example, how an IFS audit should look like. Uh, at least 50% of the total audit duration needs to be spent for the on-site evaluation, which means really going through uh, the production uh, and checking all the processes and then cross-checking with employees' interviews or documentation. And on the other hand, we also published a guideline uh, really that uh, emphasized this uh, accreditation uh, and again uh, explains how this really ref is reflected in the IFS audits. So, yeah, I think uh, I hope that I covered uh, at least what's from our perspective really uh, the benefits of being uh, part of this. Thank you. Thank you, Colin. Chris, I know that you've certainly covered it. That That's really good, really good to get your insights on why the MLA endorsement was important for IFS and uh, and ultimately what benefits that brings as an organization and, and for the industry and the private sector. 
So, so with that, um, when we try to do a little bit of a deeper dive on how accreditation plays that crucial role for industry in the private sector, I just wanted to come back to you, Mark. Uh, you were working for a large manufacturer, mm -hmm. um, working with um, many facilities that had certification by accredited CBs to support your organization that you were working for. Um, just like to get a few insights of uh, how that worked for you and uh, how how you saw that uh, working and how you see it evolving. Thanks, Colin. So, yeah, I, I had uh, over 29 years at Cargill doing certification. And I think it's probably easier to contrast that when you don't have a credit certification. It's a fist fight. You have certifying bodies that don't accept each other. There's no particular rules that they play by. They make up their own standard. They make up their own rules. And it's a very competitive, messy market. And this was especially true um, because I started in some of the specialized areas, not food safety. I started really in some of the dietary standards um, that were not well governed. And this was particularly frustrating. So um, when I came into food safety, I think to pick up on the points that um, uh, that Quincy was making, I think I can probably relate this best to when in the US, the Food and Drug Administration, FDA, was modernizing its structure in the Food Safety Modernization Act. And I distinctly remember sitting with IF as representing industry and the Grocery Manufacturers Association at that time. And the FDA was wanting to try to understand, essentially, just tell us who we can trust as a certifying body. And we had to, we worked really hard to try to convey the integrity and mechanisms of accredited certification, because it's not who the certification body is. In fact, it's not even really what the standard is. All the schemes here on the call, they're great. And at Cargill, we use all of the schemes here on the call. It's just which scheme is the best fit for the facility's operations. The key part is really what are the rules of the audit? That is the underpinning part. So you can have a certifying body that can operate in multiple different modes of whether there's oversight or not and processes. So I think the, the key part about certification, and I think um, everybody on the call here has really talked about it, is that when we do accredited certification, there are formal processes and rules and oversight processes that come into play to make sure that each party is doing what's expected and that's verified as well. So at Cargill, where I was for just about 30 years, um, yeah, I mean, about 1,500 facilities in 67 countries. There was just, there was a lot of certification activity. Um, the, the big part about that is that we don't really want more audits, I think, as Leanne and others alluded to. We really want a good quality audit so we can protect our own brands, but also our customers' brands. So in that process, we try to make sure that we can work where we have good acceptability. And we have to not just satisfy our customers, but we have to satisfy the public sector as well. Now, in food safety, I think that was made a little easier by what Quincy talked about, because both the public sector and the private sector really come from the same source of scientific standards in Codex OI, uh, Animal Health Plant Protection. And then, so at least here, the public and private sector are talking about 
the same standards of what needs to be checked at the plant. And that is, to some degree, the kind of the easy part in food safety, because we all have pretty good agreement on codex and food safety. But the bigger part, especially for a company like Cargill, because of the international trading that we have, we need to make sure that we have acceptance in countries and ultimately with the World Trade Organization. And to do that, you have to have certifying bodies that are accredited by IAF signatory um, accrediting bodies so that the multilateral agreements between countries can help trade flow. This is really key when you're operating on a, on a large scale of trading between countries and even with governments. So the certification programs that we ran at Cargill, we tried to bring partly the what we're, we are expected to do at the plant, but more so oversight on the process of who are the certifying bodies that we're picking? What are the rules that they're operating under? Are they making up their own rules with no oversight or are they actually accredited, which is what we always try to work towards? Are they accredited? Are they accredited by a accrediting body that is accepted, uh, that is a signatory to the IF multilateral agreements? This was really key for us to have good acceptability and not have rejections at a country border. Mark, um, really good summary there. And um, I, it's good to see a global company, how committed it is. Um, and, and hopefully because it's making uh, a company better, not just because it's mandated. We've, we've talked a lot about certification um, today, um, but Mark, I just want to get your insights as well, because IEF isn't just about the certification accredited by accredited certification bodies. It plays a huge part in terms of accredited, accredited labs, laboratories for analytical testing. So that brings in ISO 17025 accredited labs. Maybe give us some insights on, on why that was important to a large food manufacturer such as Cargill. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we we run 7025. Sometimes a company might decide to run to align on the same set of requirements. We'll run at many of our our own labs, 7025, the ISO standard for labs. Um, but if you think of it this way, Colin, even if we get our labs accredited, which we do in some cases, really our customers, the most compelling verification is when we have independence other than ourselves saying the lab is thus, we, we will often go to an outside lab who is carrying 7025 accreditation because it's not just us saying it is so. We have an independent entity saying that it is so as well. And we're running in alignment with 7025 and our lab is, is the labs that we use are as well. So really key to have alignment um, uh, so that you have flow of goods going across borders. Mark, that, that's great. So, so within within accreditation, uh, just for the audience, we have IEF, which is the International Accreditation Forum, and then there's ILAC, which looks after the the testing inspection side of things. And and uh, in my experience as well, that that's uh, a equally important piece to the certification. Certification will 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 provide a confidence level within the facility to to uh, I, in the case of food safety to make safe food. And then the testing piece is also another important indicator of, of safe food as well. So mm -hmm. chemical contaminants for the pesticides is, is key. The pathogen management uh, is, is very, very important, obviously, with foodborne illness. And maybe last but not least, the, the authenticity, the, the food fraud that we see in the industry 
the analytical testing to provide a confidence level that the the product that uh, the consumer is buying is actually authentic and, and not uh, fraudulent. Sometimes that's uh, for financial gain and sometimes the consequences can be food safety issues as well. So I think that that's an important piece for us to be aware of certification plus analytical testing and inspection yeah. as well. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So um, 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 the other piece I just wanted to ask you about, Mark, because I know you have a voluntary role within ISO in Technical Committee 34, Subcommittee 17, um, and I'm throwing a lot of numbers and acronyms out there, but um, there's a lot of work that was done there to support the, the governance of certification bodies around ISO 22003, Part 1 and Part 2. So maybe give us a little bit of insight of the work you do and why those uh, standards are important for accreditation. Hey, I'd be happy to. It was it was a pleasure to do that work. Um, so everybody on the call really was involved in that work as well. So um, what industry really wanted was the ability to have good transportability and acceptability of our certification. So one part is the what we do. And this is the part where each of the certification programs on the scheme has a different approach, but really what is required for example, as, as uh, Leanne mentioned, GFSI helps kind of harmonize the expectations, minimal requirements that the schemes need to have in. Then it's just a matter of, well, which scheme fits with my plant best? Is it IFS, BRC, SQF, um, FSC, which is the best fit? But there's a good common rigor to how those standards are developed. But more importantly, it's the acceptability and the confidence in those schemes because all of those schemes require credit certification but it was done a bit differently. And this was tough for industry to try to compare the different approaches to certification. So we led this work in um, within ISO in a subgroup to say, you know what? We know we have good harmonization on the what we're checking. Let's try to drive a little further harmonization for confidence sake on how that's being done. And management system certification and product process certification slightly different. And we found that in practice, there was good commonality, but there wasn't formalization of that process. So together at one nice round table, we brought the certification program owners, we brought IIF, we brought accrediting bodies, we brought certifying bodies, industry, um, GFSI, and we all for our own mutual benefit decided we need a formal agreement really on what the expectations are when the what the requirements are for certifying buys in the audit processes so we could have good comparability of schemes to make sure that our products from flow could flow from suppliers to customers. We need to have that level of confidence that there's good independence and transparency on the processes of how the audit's actually being done. Is there an adequate level of oversight happening? This, is, this was key for food, but I think I want to pivot over to ESG just for a second, because those processes that were successful on the food side were partly enabled, as Quincy talked about, because really the public sector governments and private sector really agree on codex, on HACCP and, and the various things of the what. But it's the process about how do we get confidence in the claim that's being made? And as Alden talked about, I think that for many companies, the ESG space sustainability, social responsibility is becoming a large reputational risk. And we, we like food, we should learn that the what we're checking, there are different 
approaches to it. We need to be willing to accept that what we're checking for social and sustainable will change, evolve, harmonize, and improve over time. But what we can't give up on is the confidence when a certifying body is making a claim that a site is compliant, we need to have confidence that the layers of oversight to ensure that claim is rigorous, is important, is, is key. So as we take the lessons we learned from the PCA event that really woke up the food industry and food safety and applied accredited certification to have confidence in how that process happens so that public and private sector can both have confidence in it, we need to apply that accredited certification confidence to the upcoming pressures that all companies are having now in social sustainability. So don't be distracted about who is the right certifying body. You really should be asking what are the rules that the certifying body is operating to, to assess, to conformity assess compliance. That is really the key part. What rules do they operate to? And the what scheme that they're using, that'll probably change over time. I really, I wanna focus on the acceptability and the confidence, because if you don't have that, you're gonna do a, an audit over and over and over for every different customer because customers will lack confidence in the claim being made. If you don't have IF level signatory accredited certification at play. Well, that, that's a really good summary. Appreciate that and, uh, and appreciate the service, the volunteering work that you do within that uh, technical committee. Uh, you mentioned uh, conformity assessment. Um, and uh, not everyone is fully aware of ISO CASCO. CASCO is the Committee for Conformity Assessment. Mm -hmm. um, there's something called a CASCO Toolbox, which is serving yep. public-private partnerships. Maybe just give us a, a, a few comments on really what that is and why you see that being important as well. Sure. So uh, CASCO, um, and CASCO is working right now in a task force that I'm in on how the tools that are available uh, so we have we have this separate sense of there's a standard of what the site or organization is supposed to do, and then the process of how we assess if they're conforming to that requirement or not. CASCO brings those processes uh, on the requirements for um, certifying bodies to work, and they're working right now to make sure that in the toolbox that CASCO has of different processes which standards come together for the best fit to provide confidence and rigor, independence and transparency when we're operating under um, the ESG space and environmental, uh, social and sustainable. So the, the CASCO toolbox, I think from my viewpoint, from a private industry standpoint, from the 30 years that I've sent, spent in it, generally schemes in the mix here, like on the call, they all operate on a very high level of integrity and each has a slightly different fit, but the starting point that industry really needs to go with is not which scheme should I do and which certifying body should I use, but what are the rules for the certifying body to provide confidence in the audit process? And that is really where um, CASCO and the rules around conformity assessment come in. And that would go back again to the early discussions with FDA Tell us who we can trust. Well, each certifying body can operate under different rules depending on what the scheme requires. So you really have to understand what are the rules to the process for conformity assessment to assess if a organization is conforming to a standard. 
Um, that is the a part where I would encourage industry to focus on, to have confidence in the claim first in how the process is being done. And as a secondary part is which of the very good schemes that are out there fits my organization best and I can bolt into my existing processes. Well, Mark, that, that's great. Uh, I like the emphasis you're putting on rules uh, and that brings in the governance and that governance drives the, the confidence and ultimately the trust and, um, and breaks down the, the barriers to trade internationally as well. So thanks yeah. for the, the update on, on Casco. Great. Um, so Quincy, I wanted to come back to you because we, we've talked about the food sector and, and we know the food sector is kind of all encompassing with quality aspects, looking at the ESG space with environmental or worker safety in, in food supply chains. Um, another hot topic we see that uh, the, the data or data exchange within food supply chains has become important and that's brought in uh, data privacy, data security. So um, there's a lot of standards out there that's, that's working uh, to, to cover that um, for the food supply chain. Um, ISO 9001 for quality is an example, 14001 environment, 45001 worker safety, occupational health and safety, 27001 for uh, information systems, information technology security uh, is, is another one. And, and, the, and the food schemes that we've talked about today for the food safety piece is really also uh, super important. I know a lot of your members um, are, are using some of these standards and some are using certification um, by accredited certification bodies, and, uh, and some are, are going as far as integrated management systems. So maybe if you could give us your thoughts on that whole piece of, of maybe integration and uh, across the food sector, and why that's important to your members. Sure, so I mean, again, if you look at, at the members uh, that are posted here behind me and around me, we have 11 members that back in 2022 did about half a trillion dollars worth of business, right? So. These are very large multinational companies that operate across uh, dozens, if not hundreds of different countries and, and regions around the world. Um, from a food safety perspective, it's simple, right? Um, food safety is pre-competitive. We don't compete on food safety and it's a given, right? All food must be safe because we don't want consumers to be ill. When it then comes to other things, and I think uh, Mark led nicely to that on the sustainability space, uh, there are more choices and trade-offs to be made. Um, and the same thing happens in certain uh, other parts of running a complex food business, be it your environmental management, be it your quality management, being it your information systems, health and safety, et cetera, et cetera. Um, because again, uh, you can invest as much as you possibly want, but going down to zero often is very, very difficult. So where do you draw those particular lines? So it then first comes down to implementing those particular systems within your business. And again, what we see a lot, at least along among the large multinational food businesses, ISO-based management systems, the ones that you mentioned, 9, 14, 22, 27, 45, uh, and 50, if we look at energy management as well, are some of the main ones. But one of the beautiful things about those systems, and particularly with some changes that ISO has made and the way that they are writing their standards with a high-level structure, it really enables these larger businesses to be able to more effectively implement these particular programs within their organizations and then get them verified, i.e. certified, uh, hopefully, preferably, 
through a recognized uh, accredited certification body in such a way that it drives certain efficiencies and cost savings while still maintaining the integrity of the entire uh, management system itself, as well as the certification uh, that verifies it happening in the first place. Now that all said, and again, Mark spoke a lot around, okay, trading, uh, inspection at borders, uh, giving regulators the confidence that they have. There's also the smaller producers around the world. Uh, I, I live in, a, in an emerging market myself that is very agricultural based, right? Producing a lot of coffee, bananas, uh, avocados, uh, and such products. Um, for the smaller producers, uh, and we shouldn't forget those either, there is also a tremendous amount of value in uh, independent, accredited, certified uh, standards implemented both on farm as well as throughout the, log the logistical supply chain. Why? Again, it all comes down to confidence. If you've got, uh, uh, as Mark uh, worked for many years at Cargill, if you've got a buyer sitting at Cargill uh, in Minnesota, they still need to have the confidence that a, a farm from which they are purchasing, be it in Brazil, be it in Africa, being it in Asia, or even in Europe for that matter, wherever they're buying from, if there is a third-party certified accredited certification that backs that up, there's going to be a lot more confidence and trust in the product that is going to come off that phone. And, and we can't forget that either. I think ultimately, I feel very positive about where we've come as a food industry. If we look back 30, 35, 40 years, through a lot of the systems that we've put in place, certified accredited systems backed up by ISO, by Codex, and also uh, through uh, the Global Food Safety Initiative, GFSI, we've come a very long way in making the food industry more secure, more trusted, and having safer products in the hands of consumers, which we all are ourselves as well. Hey, Colin, I want to add on to what, um, when Quincy mentioned value, because I think sometimes here we're talking, especially food safety, really talking about protecting consumers, okay? And we need the rigor of making sure that we are having internationally accepted food safety in public and private sector with our, with our customers. However, there's also the aspect, and I think that, that here sustainability is catching up. But if you think about what consumers want, consumers want certain things and they're often willing to pay for that. So Quincy mentioned value. We think of, uh, I think, accredited certification as protection you know, you're protecting your brand and protecting your consumers, your customers, but it's also about being able to create and capture value, being able to understand and make a claim that I am putting extra value in sustainability or whatever a particular claim is. And sometimes these claims, um, uh, whether it be uh, around, let's say, dietary claims especially that are kind of like more affluent countries might be able to pay for well there's a lot of companies out there that might be able to certifiers that might make claims but there's very little backing it up so here on the call we've got accredited certifying bot accredited schemes and they use accredited certification so that when they're doing things like gluten-free sustainable things like that we have really good confidence in the rigor that they can deliver the value and confidence in the claim that consumers want. And as a supplier, 
it's not just that we're not going to protect your company from food safe from food safety issues, but we can deliver the attributes that consumers want, and we can back that claim up with independence and transparency on a particular position and value that consumers want. So a credit certification is not just about um, uh, confidence in safety, it's also in the value that consumers want as well. And I think all the schemes here on the call do that as well. And I have great confidence in them because they use a credit certification in that process to bolster the claim. Mark, I think that's that's really important points to reinforce that value piece. And I, I totally agree. When we look at expected outcomes of things like a food safety management system, that, that has to deliver safe food. So the expected outcome is trust. But when you get into the subject of value and you look at the overall, what is the consumer looking for? It is safe food, but it's the nutritional values that it's maybe has animal welfare, the provenance piece, the environment is not damaged um, mm -hmm. and uh, the taste is good. So ultimately the expected outcome of, of a food system for the consumer is satisfaction and satisfaction could be I'm satisfied because it's healthy. I'm satisfied because animals have animal have better welfare. I'm satisfied because the environment's not damaged right. to produce that, that product. So the the outcome, satisfaction versus trust is a key point. And we always talk about trust, but the satisfaction or the value piece is uh, is super important and, and ultimately uh, is not forgotten in terms right. of meditation. Right, so consumers drive the bus in terms of what they want. And consumer product good producers deliver those goods to them. Regulators are essentially like the guardrails. And what is happening in the ESG space especially is that while consumers have wanted sustainable um, and socially compliant products, now, as we've seen, regulations are catching up to ensure that there are sustainable social accountability for companies. And all the schemes on the call today do that. And I think that's that is great because we're familiar with these schemes. We're familiar with the processes and the integrity that they have from independence and transparency. They're now applying that to these areas that consumers want, which is sustainable and social. And I think that is just a, a super important um, area that we're going to drive into to put not just not just assuring my customer that the food is safe, but now I can deliver these attributes of extra value that consumers want and regulators are now going to hold us accountable to in industry. Yeah, great. hundred percent agree there, Mark. Uh, good summary. So, so um, to bring this uh, to a close, I just want to get, uh, go around the table or the virtual room because we're on uh, a podcast with Zoom. Um, it's really to kind of collect final thoughts on, on accreditation in the food sector, supporting food safety, the environment, um, uh, fair trade, social responsibility, and all that, uh, all encompassing piece of the food sector. So maybe I'm just going to go around the table. So start with Chris or again, um, any final takeaway on your side from what we've discussed today? Yes, uh, thank you, Colin. Um, yeah, I would say uh, if we have a broader look of uh, what is going on in the different fields at the moment, 
with the globalization on one hand, with all the new regulations that are up to come, uh, the current political, environmental uh, challenges uh, worldwide, um, this uh, convinces us even more that working together with mutual recognitions and keeping uh, the same goal of continuous improvement uh, is uh, the way we need to continue to go through. Uh, there is the due diligence uh, directive that uh, is up to come, the need to have a supply, um, supply chain mapping uh, to be able to, for example, consider uh, the provenance of raw materials, uh, if there is a claim, uh, if it's correct, the conditions of production, the environment impact. So all these aspects, it becomes more and more complex for sure. But uh, I would say building confidence, trust, uh, and working hand in hand with mutual recognition is the way to, to continue to go through. Yes, uh, uh, thanks very much for that summary. Uh, Alden, any final thoughts or key takeaways from you today? Yeah, thanks, Colin. Well, it was a, it was a pleasure, I think, uh, to talk together, listen to each other. Uh, you know what we've been doing, where we come from, where we are. You know, the IF provides us with the podium to kind of work together, like Chris has said, to to achieve and, and and deal with these complex, you know, challenges. In particular, you know, in the sustainability field, uh, I mean, there is big pressing problems, very very complex very political as well, but we need to look at our circle of influence. I think, you know, leverage the role of the quality infrastructure and the standards and the certification schemes that we've built over the years that are very, very strong, I think. And what I will also like to say is that the IEF Working Group Sustainability, we were talking about, you know, Mark was also alluding to the fact that, you know, in the food safety space, we have codex, we have, you know, uh, there's many, many regulatory requirements and, and, and voluntary standards being built. Well, in the sustainability space, this is emerging, right? So there's a lot of scope for harmonization, creating a level playing field. So the first step that we are going to um, uh, create, one of the first steps that we are discussing creating with the work group sustainability, that at least we are going to define um, say uh, principles and criteria that a, any sustainability assurance scheme in the world will need to meet. If you want to you know, offer accreditation in the social environmental space and uh, you want to come across as credible, then we have to make sure that we all look at the same thing and all accreditation bodies are going to ask from scheme owners and, and certification bodies to deliver to, to a certain set of expectations. So I think that's very exciting that we work together also in this space to come up with more measurable and defined set of expectations to, to move ahead because, you know, we need to, to, to talk to each other to create that consensus and then, you know, uh, make that, that agreement at the global level. Only then we can move ahead in, 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 in a nice manner and in an equal manner and, and really create impact across the world. So I'm very excited about that. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll stop talking now and give the, the stick back to you, Colin. Thank you. Alden, thank you very much for that summary. Quincy, over to you. Um, final thoughts. Now, if I can try to summarize it in one sentence, what I would say is this. Uh, ultimately, accreditation drives trust. That is, uh, trust in the certification and the certificates that are issued. Uh, that is trust among consumers and the products that they consume. 
regulators having confidence in the private sector and what it is that they're producing, the private sector all across the supply chain, trust in what is actually being produced in the way that it is agreed that it was going to be produced, and then ultimately that we generate value all the way from farm to fork, from the smallest farmers in emerging markets to the largest manufacturers uh, anywhere in the world, uh, ultimately leading to good food that consumers can consume and be trusting that when they eat it, they don't get ill. Right. Great. Great. Thank you. Amanda, over to you. Hi, thank you, Colin. It's been a fascinating conversation. And I think it's taken me right back to my early days in industry when I was subjected, subjected to uh, accredited certification when I was implementing food safety management systems on sites, but also in the years that I've been involved in certification, um, you know, as an auditor, working for certification bodies. And so we've been uh, exposed to you know, accredited uh, accreditation, you know, many, many different steps and over many different levels. And I think what I was thinking was just imagine a world without accreditation. You know, people talk about the cost of all the, the you know, the layers of, of, you know, as Liam was talking about the auditor, checking the auditor, checking the auditor, and, you know, the cost that that brings into the system. But I think, you know, it would be a massive false economy if we didn't have that, because it's the only way in which trust can be built. And going back to what I was saying before, I work with um, with regulators, and I'm sure this is the case for other scheme owners on the call. You know, you you re regulators now have you know reduced resources. They have to focus those resources, and they they need to be able to trust in accredited certification so that they can target the the oversight and inspection faci um, facilities and and, and uh, resources that they have so I think it's it's absolutely vital that we continue to to value accredited certification and take you know take advantage of it throughout the the industry thank you Amanda a very nice summary thank you very much and uh, over to you Leanne I get to wrap it up and take all those comments that were made. Um, so I just want to build off of what everybody is saying uh, regarding the, the the trust that we have in that certification and continuing that conversation to, to value. Because when we look at the pros and cons of accredited certification, the pros are easy. Uh, it looks at the robustness of the audit and the credentialing process. We look at the harmonization. We uh, look at, you know, the, the ability to have that once certified accredited by all. But that the con is really that cost, like Amanda references. But I like to turn that around into value because it's not just the value to the consumer, but it's also to the value to the site that's undergoing that accredited certification because of the robustness of the audit, because of all the different layers, the, the integrity that goes into building that system. And then I also wanna close because hopefully everybody here listened to the first podcast, I know I did. Um, and I really wanna just 
bring up what Skip Greenaway stated. And he did such a good job of providing some background as to why we're here today um, as it associated to 9011 standard and how the development of HACCP here in the US uh, came to play and the, the working together within those two systems. But I think what's important is that that was back in the 90s. And so that's when we first started. And there's this evolution of accreditation. And now look at where we're here today. And it just keeps building and growing and strengthening. And I think that ultimately is the beauty of where of accreditation isn't that there isn't this destination but there's this journey which mimics exactly where we are with food safety because it's not that destination but it's a it's a continuous improvement process that we can take the learnings from every industry whether it be automotive telecommunications food safety and apply it to industries moving forward so for me at SQF, I look forward to that journey and working together in that collaborative process um, to make a difference, not just in food safety, but apply that to other industries as well. So thanks again for having me on this podcast. It's been a really great conversation. Leanne, a really nice uh, way to wrap things up for, for the podcast. So thank you very much. So let me just take the opportunity to thank everyone on the podcast for so generously giving their time up today. We, we have to do practice sessions before we even do the podcast and um, we're all very busy people, um, but it just shows, I think, the level of commitment um, and dedication we have um, and belief in, in what we do. So with that, um, I also thank you as the listener for sticking with us wherever you're listening. And uh, this is podcast number two. Um, stay tuned for podcast number three and number four that will come uh, to do a deeper dive with intergovernment organizations and the public sector. So with that, I, I'll bring this to a close. Once again, thank you very much. Uh, we appreciate uh, everyone's involvement and the collaboration that uh, we do working in this sector. Thank you and goodbye.